Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and our guest today is a certified pediatric sleep consultant and applied developmental psychologist who has been helping little ones and their families since 2012. She's an active member of the Society of Research in Child Development and the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, and she serves on the Medical Advisory Board for the popular parenting YouTube channel, What's Up, Moms? She's the founder of Healthy Little Sleepers, where she and her team work with families to create customized sleep plans based on their particular goals. Susie Menkes, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I'm excited that you are here. First of all, you have this like rich and diverse background. That's really interesting. And I'm curious about sleep, and I'm frequently asked about sleep by parents of, I would say, tired and cranky parents of tired and cranky infants and toddlers sometimes. So I want to learn, and they want to learn. So thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Let's start with that rich background. Where are you from, and how did you become you? Okay. Well, I was actually born and raised right here in Los Angeles. Ah. Um, I didn't think and... anybody was born and raised here. I thought everybody <laughs> was a transplant. Right? You're I the one. I'm, <laughs> I'm unique that way, I suppose. Yeah. So I've always been interested in working with kids, and my role with kids has evolved over time as I evolved as a person. And I went back to school to get my degree in applied developmental psychology. What's that mean not, in English? Yeah. So it's not clinical. <laughs> so I don't okay. diagnose. I can't tell you if your kid's on the spectrum or if there are sensory processing disorders. My practice is grounded in evidence-based research. So it's taking any particular area of everyday life and taking basic research and using that to inform your decisions and solve problems. So sleep is one of those. the motto for the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. (laughs) We couldn't be more aligned. There you go. Which is a chiropractic term. Yeah. So, um, you know, you can go into media research, like children's preschool programming. So I used to study that. And you can go into, you know, after-school programming and just evaluate after-school programs. So that's all applied developmental psychology, looking to better understand kids based on science and research. And sleep is a science. So when I had my kids in 2012, or my first kid in 2012, I knew a whole lot about development, you know, cognitive, emotional language, but sleep was a whole other ball game. And I was that person like, oh, I don't need to take any courses. I know so much about development. And then, you know, I was kind of slapped across the face when (laughs) I had my son and I dove into all the sleep research because I was starting to read all the books and trying to get informed about it as I had a newborn. And everything was contradicting one another. And I started to look up the studies that were in those books. And some of them weren't accurate in identifying what they were talking about. And they were kind of stretching that fine line of what kind of scares everybody of traumatizing your kid when you're sleep training, Mm. right? There's that big misnomer of hurting their development. And that's not necessarily the case. So I dove into the sleep research and figured it out on my own. And from there, Healthy Little Sleepers was born. I started helping other families really understand sleep and their little ones and how babies are different. So interesting. Um, Do you have siblings? I do have an older sister. Oh, you're the baby. I'm the baby. And you're always interested in kids. Okay, I thought for sure you were going to say <laughs> I always like, wanted a younger sister yeah. or brother. <laughs> so now you have like hundreds of them. <laughs> now I got a lot. Yeah. I get to have my own kids and then watch them grow up, but I still get that lovely baby interaction that, you know, 
parents often miss as their kids get older. So it's the best of both worlds for yeah. me. I remember also during that age, um, and we'll get more into like methods and techniques and research in a moment, but we did absolutely not want to do any kind of sleep training for that whole first year. And my son was not sleeping well. Like you said, uh, slapped across the face, I think you put it. I was scratched <laughs> across the eyeball many times because... He just was like tired and he wasn't having a good time and we resisted and resisted and we finally did it and we felt like awful, terrible people. My wife even had to like leave. I had to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the process wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. And then once he was sleeping through the night, which only took a few days, it was like literally night and day. I mean, he was just so much happier all the time. Mm -hmm. And gosh, we were happy. We felt like we won the lottery. Yeah, and I think that's an important part for parents too because our sleep is so important. And when we're sleep deprived, you know, we don't think as clearly. We're not, you know, we're more reactive than responsive. And when we're taking care of somebody full time, we can't really parent as well as we can if we're well-rested. And so I always talk to parents about the benefits of sleep, not only for their baby's development and memory and language and just overall behavior, but our well-being too. Because day in and day out, you know, sleep deprivation at the end of the day is a form of torture. Mm. So, you know, in the beginning with a newborn, yes, you're going to be up all night feeding them. That's what they need. We don't sleep train a newborn. But there are things you can do for newborns um, to set healthy sleep habits. But at the end of the day, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel where they will get long stretches of sleep at night and you can have those expectations. It's just really understanding when you can start putting some practices into place and moving forward from there. And without that knowledge, you just feel like you're out of luck, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's just nothing you can do. But that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. I feel like when I sleep more, I have a longer fuse with my kids. Like I can take a lot more before I snap. Mm -hmm. And sleep deprivation feels like a form of torture, only second to some of those diaper changes. Mm. (laughs) Yes. But you have no training for that. So (laughs) (laughs) at least not yet. Right. Not yet. So but it is true. Like when you especially like in certain, I find in raising children in that pregnancy and postpartum newborn phase, there's so much judgment too. And everything's like so polarized. And it's sort of like you're a horrible person if you sleep train your kid or you're foolish if you don't sleep train your kid, you know. And the books are like that too. They're like, mm-hmm. you have to do it this way, you have to do it that way. So, I mean, you have that background in developmental psychology, but like, how did you find your way? How did I find my way in terms of when I sleep? For your own kids. For my own kids, yeah. Because I assume that's Um, what you now use to help everybody else. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I did actually all the wrong things with my son because I was in that boat of learning and figuring it out on my own because I didn't really trust the books because I was reading all the contradicting opinions, not only from the books, but relatives and friends. They all had a different opinion. And I didn't know what was right, in quote, so to speak. And not necessarily that there is a right or wrong way to sleep train. There's a lot of different ways you can approach it. So when I dove into the research, you know, I was rocking my son to sleep. I was still feeding him every three hours at four months. I read you can sleep train at three months. I read you can sleep train at four months. I didn't know when the right time was to start, and I was still trying to figure it out. And it wasn't until he actually reached that 
four-month mark where they say it's okay to sleep train in the bigger grand scheme of things. That's like the okay time Mm -hmm. that I did it. And I did the same thing. I cried. I opened that bottle of wine. It was hard. But, you know, I got him sleeping through the night. I... You know, he was taking three predictable naps, and he ended up being an amazing sleeper, so much to the point, like, I had to wake him up Mm. because then it would mess with his next nap or his nighttime sleep. Um, (gasps) And so, yeah, if they sleep too much during the day, it will end up messing with their nighttime Mm. sleep. So there's a fine balance there. Like us, like adults. Yes, exactly. Um, We can take the edge off. I remember Stephen Wright used to say he was nervous because his foot fell asleep one day, and he was afraid it was going to be up all night. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly that point. Um, So, yeah, you know, so it it does influence their sleep at night. And so when I learned with my son, I continued my education and I knew a lot more when my daughter was born. And they were only 20, almost 22 months apart. And when I had her, I did things very differently. And she was sleeping through the night. And granted, you know, temperament has something to do with it, right? So I think my son would have been a great early on sleeper too, but I ended up getting in the way of his sleep and I'm the first to admit it. And that's something we want to look at is, are you getting in the way of your little one's sleep? Are you holding them and rocking them and they're having trouble getting comfortable and it's taking longer and longer to put them down? Then yeah, you that's a sign you might be getting in the way of your little one's sleep. So I knew all the signs. I knew the science of sleep for newborns and what to do. And she was sleeping through the night at eight weeks of age. Mm-hmm. And I remember... One of the things that happened that kind of pushed it forward too, which I was like, wait a second, my baby, um, was I had to go out to a business dinner with my husband and the babysitter put her down in her crib instead of the bassinet next to my bed. And I'm like, no. And of course, I didn't want to wake her up when I got home. But that night was the first night she got her longest stretch of sleep at night to the point like I woke up and I was like, (gasps) like, you know, is she still breathing? What's going on? Like every parent's worst nightmare. And we all do that, right? We all go to them and check on them, put our little finger under their nose (laughs) or our hand on their chest or their back if they've rolled over and they're old enough to sleep on their tummies. And Lobel, she was doing great. And then I was in that conundrum, like, okay, do I wake her to feed her? Do I go pump? Like, what do I do? So there's a lot of questions about how to figure all this stuff out and what to do. And that's kind of where I am helping parents navigate those situations. Mm -hmm. And no, you don't have, of course, I brought her back to my room because she was, I think, only five or six weeks old at that point. And I brought her back into the room with us for a little bit. But again, there's there's a lot of different research out there from the American Academy of Pediatrics, like your baby should be in your room till a year to reduce the risk of SIDS, and then they come out with something, no, till six months, and then they come out with another study, oh, but if you move your baby out of their room by four months of age, they get longer stretches of sleep at night. So it's all a lot of information to take in from the media and try and figure out what's best. And at the end of the day, I educate parents on what these studies mean and what they can do and what SIDS is and really help them understand and make the best choices for them. And again, sleep training is not for everybody, but Mm -hmm. especially if things are working for you and you're co-sleeping or you're rocking your little one to sleep and it's not disrupting sleep and things are fine, I'm not here to say you need to sleep train, right? We don't need to fix something if it's not broken. So that's another kind of you know, in the in the spectrum of that 
diverse I need to sleep train or I know you're going to harm your baby is another point and topic we need to cover with parents to understand that you're not harming your kid. And according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, they put it really, really well. There's different levels of stress your little one goes under. There's tolerable stress, there's moderate stress, and there's toxic stress. Sleep training in the grand scheme of things is tolerable stress. It happens over a really short period of time. You're teaching your little one how to sleep toxic and in a loving, caring, giving environment. It's not like you're just walking out the door and not attending to them. The ones that change this type of stress that changes development and can affect your little one is toxic stress. And that we're talking about abuse, neglect, abandonment, and that's not what we're doing here. So I think there's a big misconception about sleep training and what that means in terms of harming your kids if they're going to cry. Well, that's and if- refreshing because I remember the first time we did it, I was like, baby, I think we need to do this, but we should really put away a lot of money for therapy <laughs> <laughs> just in case. Right. Um, well, I want to jump into the nuts and bolts with you, some yes. really practical things for our listeners to take home and put into use. So. We're going to take a little break, and we come back, we're going to talk about the how-to kind of stuff with our expert, Susie Minkies. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new Omega-3 Soft Gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking about sleep with Susie Menkes. All right, let's talk about some nuts and bolts. You call your program Mastering Newborn Sleep. Is that different than sleep training? Yes, absolutely. So the Mastering Newborn Sleep online course that I have is all about newborn sleep. It's not for older babies four months and older. Newborn sleep is very, very different than four months plus because they aren't born with circadian rhythms, which is our sleep rhythms. So They're not born with. They are not oh. born with sleep rhythms. So, so in the womb, they're just up and down whenever. Yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're up and down. And even when they come out, they don't have these rhythms. So a lot of parents experience what's called day-night confusion, mm-hmm. where they are sleeping during the day and then up all night. And that is part of that kind of backwards rhythms. And But there are ways you can help 
change those rhythms as they start to develop closer to three months of age. Um, that's when they start coming together. And that's kind of what I go over in Mastering Newborn Sleep. So I cover everything from coming home with your baby, kind of what to expect. So if you're expecting kind of what you need to do when you come home, newborn sleep cycles, what they're like and how they're different. I go over different newborn common sleep challenges that you might face. And then I go over my system, like what can we do to set those healthy sleep habits, right? This is not really sleep early. training really early on. Mm-hmm. from the very beginning. What is the first thing I want you to do? What is the next thing you can do now, right? At six to eight weeks of age, for example, is when you start seeing those first social smiles. And that's a sign that your baby is starting to make connections, not only with you, but to their daily environment. So that's a great time to start setting a few routines right before you swaddle them up and put them down for sleep because those three things are going to be their cues that sleep is coming. So it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be super simple. You can turn some white noise on, swaddle them up, change their diaper, swaddle them up, sing them a song, and put them down for sleep. And babies thrive on routine. And it's those connections that they're making with sleep at that age so early on. So you're saying every time you, before you put them to sleep, you just do those things. Mm -hmm. But you don't force them to sleep because you've done those things. Right. You can put them down. You can hold them right. The newborn stage is a time for bonding. That's why there's no sleep training. We're not letting them cry to sleep. Obviously, if you need to, you know, if your baby is fed, burped, changed, swaddled, and you put them down because you have to go to the bathroom, let's say, and they cry for a minute before you come back, it's okay. You can pick them up, settle them down, try and put them back down again, or you can hold them for that sleep, right? So there's no rhyme or reason or need or we shouldn't at all sleep train newborns. And one of them was because of the sleep rhythms. And the other one is because they don't produce melatonin, which is our natural sleep hormone that we produce. So when they don't have it, that's also another reason why they're going to have day-night confusion. However, the good news is moms produce melatonin and it's in the breast milk. Oh, nice. So if you are nursing, you do have that benefit of your little one not only getting all those great antibodies, but not everybody can nurse. So let's, you know, there's another dichotomy we can always go into there. But you I'm know. thinking like Shark Tank product, new baby formula now with melatonin. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that's synthetic. That's <laughs> yeah. not. It's very different. Oh, it's, it's not. not yeah. Uh-huh. No, no, no. I'm not recommending you give your newborn or anybody PM melatonin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Caveat there. I'm not recommending that. I hear you. Um, but I hear you, right? New Shark Tank thing. Um, And so, yeah, so that's another reason why we don't sleep train newborns. But they can develop and start developing melatonin around the six to eight week mark again. And that's when you can start seeing those longer stretches of sleep at night. And you're probably going to get only one long stretch of sleep. And you want that to be at nighttime. Hey, sharks, who wants to help babies sleep like a baby? (laughs) Call me. I'm working on my pitch. So what happens then after the newborn phase? After the newborn phase. Okay, so moving forward after four months. So you possibly got into some helping ways like I did with my son, unless you take my program. And, you know, that's very common because it's really hard to hear your baby cry or 
you know, if you know that they do cry, right? Newborns, we're not letting them cry. But if they do cry for a minute, not the end of the day. But we probably got into some helping ways, whether it's rocking, bouncing, holding, a oh, swing, I would car hold ride, car seat stroller. And swing it yeah. back and forth until my tendonitis would flare. Yeah. Oh, I had to wear um, those like bowling gloves because my wrists hurt so bad. From so much holding. From holding him and bouncing and yeah. rocking him so much. Yeah. So good for the car. Um, yeah. <laughs> right? Newborns. I All recommend them to Physical everyone. therapy. Yeah. yeah. Experts there. Yeah. So then once you get over four months and your baby weighs at least 14 pounds, you can start putting some practices into place using different approaches to help them learn to fall asleep independently. And that is the number one thing that your baby will need to learn to do in order to get good rest. And that's kind of the hardest one of all is learning to fall asleep independently and returning to sleep independently. So that is without your help. That's not saying without your presence or your ability to be there. Like I've been in the room with parents, with the baby, while they're learning to sleep. We held them over the crib. I just did a little boy last week who was a 13-month-old co-sleeper, and he slept in his crib for the first time. So I was in there with mom and dad, or no, just mom, and he was having a hard time. But you know what? He was crying. He was. We were there. I was holding him over the crib, cr- hugging him, right? He wasn't left alone. He just never learned to fall asleep on his own, let alone in his crib. So when you, you say things- holding him over the crib, you're not I'm not holding him up. So he's standing, right? So he's 13 months old. So he's standing there crying. So I just, yeah, like embracing him. Just like a shh, like I got you. Um, And he would calm. And so then we would like sit there quietly. So there's a lot of different approaches we can take in sleep training. And I think parents think that there's that myth of sleep training. You're going to let your baby cry and you're going to close the door and say, see you in the morning or check on them every few often. And, you know, they just have to figure it out on their own. There's a lot of different approaches and it has to do with what level of parent involvement do you want to have? And we will put a plan together based on what works for your family. And sometimes there's pacifiers involved or getting rid of the swaddle or all different things. And so I customize plans for parents and help them and walk them through that so that they feel comfortable, right? Because they're the expert in their child. I'm the expert in sleep, and I want to work with them so that both they can be successful and their baby can be successful. Mm, Because I'm not just going to tell them to do something that they're not comfortable with because they're not going to succeed in that. Hmm. So it's good to know that there is variety. Like, it's not so polar. You don't have to be, like, for sleep or against sleep. Yeah. You can have the way your family operates and the way you want to raise your child and incorporate a sleep program into that. Absolutely. Sometimes more crying, sometimes less. Correct. And the thing is with the crying, another myth would be, you know, the no cry, there's no, there's like no cry sleep solutions or things like that. And the thing is with crying and sleep is that your little one only knows how to sleep a certain way. So really to get the no crying is about having all the little pieces of the puzzle together in order to get no crying. But at the end of the day, there's going to be a protest because you're changing something. And this is a habit that they've gotten into and don't know how to fall asleep independently. So more likely than not, there's going to be crying, but it's just their protest because they don't know how to fall asleep sleep independently yet, but we're there to support them. So what I mean, generally, 
Is there an age? You said 14 pounds in four, four months. months. Mm-hmm. Is it better to start then or is it sometimes better to start later? It's based on the family, right? So I'm never going to tell someone that you should start in the newborn phase. But I do find the earlier you start putting some good sleep practices in place, the easier it's going to be in the long run. The later you wait, it will get harder because they are accustomed to a particular way of sleeping. And of course, when you get into the toddler years, it gets even harder. But that's not to say there's nothing you can do. It just might take a little bit longer and you might peel the layers off that onion a little bit slower and do it um, kind of like a week-by-week basis and have that plan. Just, okay, so maybe you have a co-sleeper and it's a toddler and they've never slept in their bed before. So maybe you get them this new bed and you get them all excited about it, but they've never slept there before. So maybe you start sleeping with them in their bed first instead Mm. of your bed. So let's get them comfortable in their room, in their bed, how they're used to sleeping in your room. And then you kind of peel those layers off and as you back away. I also find parents sleeping in the toddler bed is very good for the chiropractor as well. Um, <laughs> you don't fit, quite, quite fit in their <laughs> bed, yeah. Quite, yeah, it's not meant for you. <laughs> so when you do start on the younger side, how long is typical to expect the process to take? Mm-hmm. So it depends on the parent involvement. So the less parent involvement, you'll see, you know, within three days, you know, your little one can be sleeping through the night. Naps might be a little bit more trickier because they're a lighter stage of sleep. But if you have the bedroom environment all set up and conducive and sleeping at the right times that are naturally in line with their sleep rhythms, naps will come together just right after nighttime comes together. The more involved you are, like if you're in the room initially and phasing yourself out of the room, it can take up to, you know, 7 to 14 days depending on your little one's temperament. So Mm -hmm. there's kind of both things where we're dealing with the parent involvement and then the flexibility and temperament of your little one. So it's just kind of when you're thinking as the development of a child as a whole, you want to take the context into situation as well. When you say nap, do you recommend that they nap in the same environment that they sleep at nighttime or a different environment, meaning the same crib or also darkness versus not dark? So when you're sleep training, we definitely recommend doing crib time for nap times too. It's kind of you have this, once sleep comes together both for naps and for nighttime, you know, you can be flexible. I kind of like to think of it as the 80-20 rule. So 80% of the time you're having, you know, your routines with predictable naps and where you're getting restorative sleep. And so when you have naps kind of that are on the go, let's say in the car here and there, They're not as restorative, but some nap is better than no nap at all. But you don't want to have too many days in a row of that happening because that's when it's less restorative and then that can lead to more nighttime wakings and you backtrack Mm. and kind of can fall off. That makes sense. Yeah. I still have a lot more questions for you, but it's time for another break. All right. The more you talk, the more juicy questions I'm coming up (laughs) with. So. If you're curious and you have questions, don't go anywhere because we're going to be right back with Susie Menkes. <laughs> Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking sleep with Susie Menkes. All right. How much sleep does a kid need at the different stages, roughly? 
Okay, so while quantity of sleep is important, so we can talk about numbers, but I also want to make a point that quality sleep is also almost more important than Hmm. the number of hours. Okay, that's interesting. Um, So for newborns, you can expect somewhere between 14 to 16 hours of sleep. And for, let's say, 4 to 18 months, so that's when they're taking anywhere between 3 to 2 naps, anywhere from 12 to 16 hours. 12 is on the low side. And then when you're thinking more of like 18 months to three years of age, it's maybe more like 12 to 14 hours of sleep. Again, 12 being on the low side. So when we're thinking about nighttime sleep, you were hoping anywhere between 10 on the low side and 12 on a higher sleep needs side, 12 hours, 10 to 12 hours. And for naps, we want naps to be at least an hour. So you know, when you're doing two naps a day and you get at least two hours of sleep that are including nighttime, that makes puts us at 14 hours of sleep. So, you know, somewhere between 13 and 14 hours of sleep when you're at two naps. For naps also, you can be anywhere from one to two hours when you're on two naps a day. Yeah. So there's kind of that's where that variation comes in. When you get those short naps, those kind of 30, 45-minute naps that people always talk about, that's just a sleep cycle where they can – wake up because of a brief awakening. So what we really want to do is try and help them get back to sleep so they can get that hour sleep for that nap because that is considered restorative. Mm -hmm. And hopefully if they fall back to sleep after that brief awakening, then they'll actually sleep a little bit longer. What do you recommend when they turn like mid-40s? I'm just curious. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Go see an adult sleep doctor. (laughs) First of all, so you don't work with adults? I don't work with adults, but I have had adult questions, um, a lot of it, you know. So the the thing with our sleep and waking up in the middle of the night, our our sleep does change as we get older. I do read about adult sleep just because I'm getting into those years as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, our phones and our screens are really a culprit. Mm. Um, because that's the blue light that actually we see during the daytime. So that's why our phones have that night mode that turns it kind of like a brownish color. Oh, yeah. Um, The blue light wavelength that our eyes see actually tricks our brains into thinking it's still daytime and suppresses the production of melatonin. Oh, interesting. It comes back to that melatonin. mm Mm-hmm, comes back to that melatonin. So, and when we're not producing melatonin, that's when we can, you know, wake up at 2, 4 in the morning. And what do we do at 2, 4 in the morning? We're probably looking at our phones again because we can't sleep. Yeah. Um, Plus, you don't want to miss anything. It's like minute (laughs) to minute. Right. I'm guilty of it, but, you know, I'm also guilty of or aware of, you know, when I do feel overtired and it's not my kids waking me up. I I try and keep my phone outside of my bedroom so that it's not that easy for me to access mm, if I do that's wake a good up. Idea. I sometimes I have to I'm on call too because I'm on doula. So like okay. when I see that blue light blinking, I'm always like, Did I miss something? Is somebody you know? Yeah. And then but sometimes when I'm not on call, I see the phone and I'm like, No, I'm just Quick pee and go back to bed. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. And then I do. I fall back asleep pretty quick. Yeah. But if I do, I get sucked into that vortex. Yep. Even like one minute and I'm lost and <laughs> I'm just tossing and turning. <laughs> but back to your children. Yes. For our listeners. So sometimes, I mean, this was an issue that happened to me is with our kids. I, after our first, we kind of got a, our own little method sort of that we adopted. And it was pretty good. I think we did okay. 
But I still put a, a little money aside for therapy, but I think we're not going to have to use it all. Um, <laughs> I think we all should put a little money aside <laughs> for that. That's probably a good idea. And since all the good ones are on a network, then we have to. Anyway, so my question is, we would get the kids onto a good schedule and then the clock change. I always said, I don't care red, blue, or purple. I will vote for the guy who gets rid of the clock change or the girl who gets rid of the clock change. <laughs> because it would drive us insane. It would be like, good sleep, good sleep, good sleep, change the clock, and awful sleep. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to transition that better? Sure, move to Arizona. Oh, there you go. (laughs) No, um, but there is. So with clock changes, it's hard, just like it is with travel and you're going to a different time zone. Um, So what you want to do, you know, we have fall back coming up. So what is our little ones going to do if they wake up at 6? They're going to be waking up at 5. So we can transition them slowly. So the week before, if you want to do it slowly, or you can do a cold turkey, right? If your kids are in school, I would say kind of do it slowly because you don't want them to be super cranky for that mm-hmm. first day of school. So when you move the clock for them prior to that clock change, you do it in 15-minute increments. So it's really, really easy. And oh. you change everything. Including for how long, though? Like, for the week before. Like, so the first two days, you change it first two or three days. That's what I mean. So like two or three 15 days minutes, and then another 15 minutes, right? And then another 15 minutes. So by the time you get to that Saturday night, that Sunday morning, they're waking up at a different time. So now if your little one's a little bit more sensitive, maybe you start two weeks before and spend four days of doing things 15 minutes earlier. And then the next four days doing things 15 minutes earlier. So when you change that, and it's not only changing their bedtime and their nap times, but their feeding times too. Oh, everything. So food too, because your hunger metabolism coincides with sleep. So you want to change all the other activities throughout the day to also coincide with that new change of time. And like you said, when you travel. Mm-hmm. So if you're traveling, let's say, a two-hour time zone, but you're only going to be there for a week, mm-hmm. is that something that you... So if it's a week, you can do your best. Like going from west to east is a lot easier, right? Because your little one can be up later. They can sleep in later. Party animals. Party animals, (laughs) right? They can go out to a late dinner with you. So I would say, you know, keep them on the West Coast time as long as you can because coming back West is a lot harder because they're going to be waking up at 4 a.m. instead Mm -hmm. of 7 a.m. So when you're going there, though, and you're trying to keep them on West Coast time, they are naturally, after probably three or four days, they're naturally going to start waking up earlier and needing to go to bed earlier because our sleep rhythms are set by the rising and setting of the sun. Mm -hmm. So when that natural light starts coming in or that dusk starts happening, it's automatically just naturally changing their rhythms. So they're going to start waking up. Now, if you're only going for three or four days, you're probably safe to say that it's not going to affect their sleep so much. Um, But any bit longer, it naturally starts It's like my phone knows we're in a different time zone, even (laughs) if I don't tell it. Right. My kid knows too. Um, All right. Toddlers. Toddlers. uh, After this, we're going to run out of time, but we're going to tell everybody where to find you for endless amounts of access. So toddlers seem like a whole different animal, like three, Mm four-year-olds. They, have you seen the book, like Go to F to Sleep, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. So, I mean, I read that book and I laughed and cried so hard because it's all true. Like no matter what you do, they don't want to, it's like, 
what is wrong with sleep? And I'm an adult craving sleep. I'm like, wait till you get it. In fact, now I have teenagers and I'm thinking about writing a sequel to that book and I'm calling it Wake the F Up because <laughs> I can't get them out of bed. I'm like, does. it's like an avocado. Not ready, not ready, not ready. Black and totally <laughs> not usable. That, where's that. that middle ground? Yes. So toddlers are a different animal. Um, so, you know, part of it is they're exerting their independence. They're in a bed versus a crib. So they have a newfound freedom if you're doing that transition. But a lot of times what happens with these bedtime battles is that they're going to sleep a little bit too late. So when you start seeing those sleepy signs, sometimes by the time you get those pajamas on and into bed, they've hit that overtired state. So now they're operating on adrenaline and cortisol and had that second wind and all of a sudden are bouncing off the Walls. Oh, there's no way. So there's like no point. turning back. It's a lot harder and there's a lot more pushback and there's a lot more coming out of the room and then, you know, our tempers fly. So a lot of times pull that back, pull that bedtime earlier so you can transition nicely and calmly and read that book and have them fall asleep but much more peacefully when they're tired versus trying to start bedtime when they're tired and then them getting overtired. Yeah. So start it earlier. But behaviorally, so I've been certified as a behavior behavior specialist as well because it has it coincides with bedtime battles and I just went through the toddler stage with my kids and understanding how to handle those tantrums and work with them to understand emotional regulation is a huge part of it and it's okay that they're having these protests and these tantrums because it's our job to help them through it so there's a fine balance of okay, you know, tonight you're having a hard time. I'm going to sit with you until you're ready to fall asleep, right? So the more we react and aren't responsive and our temper starts going because we're getting frustrated because we want to move on with our night, it's not going to help us. So, you know, take that deep breath that we need to take and just say to yourself, okay, tomorrow will be a new day. I'm going to start it a little bit earlier tomorrow. So this That's really happen. good advice because I can see that movement. Even still, my younger kids are 9 and 11 years old. I can see that moment where they're getting tired, getting tired, and we probably should go to bed, but we're having fun. Yeah. And then, boom, we've missed the window. Mm-hmm. Now we're into overtired, and there's no way. There's everything under, the, I'm hungry, I need this, I got to go to the bathroom, I'm scared. There's All the requests. ghost under my bed. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't do, I didn't do my homework. Oh, I want to do homework. I'm like, what? Okay, you're overtired. Any excuse under the sun. So that's a really awesome piece of advice. Right. Um, we're out of time. Okay. But I it's learned a lot. It's been lovely. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I really love your approach. Thank I think you. it's it's really great. I love purple when it's not all red or blue, you know, or grays, you know, it's not all black and white. It's yeah. just I love being able to, like, take a level-headed, reasonable approach and to also say that every family and every kid is different and you don't have to treat them all the same. No, definitely not. I have not. this question. Where can we find you online? I love it. Um, so my website is healthylittlesleepers.com. You can find my Mastering Newborn Sleep and all of my packages and services under the Sleep Solutions page. I also have an easy downloadable guide surviving the first six weeks. So if you're expecting, it's a great free resource for you to understand kind of what to expect in these first six weeks and what you can do. So, so but you work with people from everywhere. Everywhere. They yeah, I have clients have in Germany, in sunny, Australia, California. New York. Yep, all all over the place. Yeah. And I have a team as well. So other consultants I work with who are trained through the Family Sleep Institute and we have weekly meetings to go over cases as well. Awesome. 
Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. And at home, thanks for listening to us. I want you to know that sleep was a requested topic by a listener of ours. And uh, now we have fulfilled that topic. But you can request topics too anytime you just write to us at info at informedpregnancy.com.